This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 324, submission number 029, Hollywood Squares Derivatives. Derivative? Thank you. In the mid-1960s, Merrill Heater and Bob Quigley took an already existing format by, I believe it was Nick Nicholson and Roger Moore. Not the guy who played James Bond, Roger no, Moore. No, not Roger that Moore. one. That's... That's M-O-R-R-E. I'm talking about M-U-I-R. It was basically a bluffing game involving celebrities. They took that idea and basically put the celebrities on top of each other. Good night, everybody. <laughs> no. they put. It was basically three stacks of three in a game, a larger-than-life game, of knots and crosses. It was the Hollywood Squares. And it made for some really, really good game show television for the last 56 years? 56 yeah. years. Hold on a second. Knots and crosses. Is that how you people in North Carolina say tic tac toe? Sorry, I was still in my little British loop from the last episode. Yeah, 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 ju- yeah. Give me that shameful head shake, Greg. Just, yeah, just give me that. But of course, we know it as it's many incarnations, of course, of the Hollywood squares, but also hip hop squares and Nashville squares. But also, let's not seldom forget that local version out in Springfield called the Springfield Squares. Live from Shelbyville, it's the Springfield Squares, featuring our new center square, Homer Perfect Game Simpson. Hey, I run. There's a stairway, dumbass. <laughs> okay, we'll start with our returning champion, Disco Stew. Disco Stew's gonna groove up some dough playing tic-tac-toe. Uh, Stew, we like to downplay the resemblance to tic-tac-toe. I can dig it. <laughs> So obviously, success breeds imitation. I mean, that's as old as television itself. But what happens when a producer clones his own idea? Kind of, sort of? Well, you get the shows that we're going to talk about on this episode. I think we should start with the first one which is an entry that aired on the NBC television network back when it was still trying to find itself after Fred Silverman ran it into the ground. But we didn't have nine stars. We only had six. And there weren't squares. There were triangles. I am talking, of course, about battle stars. Battle Stars aired on NBC in two different versions from October 26, 1981 to April 23, 1982, and again from April 4, 1983 to July 1, 1983 as the new Battle Stars. 
Keehan. Richard Simmons. Skip Stevenson. Nell Carter. And Richard Keel. Those are the battle stars. That's right. Right after High Rollers and slightly before Jeopardy, Alex Trebek was hosting this show. The show involves two contestants, one a returning champion in the blue podium and the challenger in the red. The object of the game is to capture three battle stars. How do you capture a battle star? Well, the battle stars are six celebrities set in a three-by-two grid on the other side of the stage. The contestant in control, and this is the original version, they pushed a plunger on their podium to stop a flashing randomizer, and the number it stopped on determined which celebrity would be asked a question. The questions on battle stars are asked in the style of Hollywood Squares, but except for having an open answer, there were multiple choice. They had to choose one answer, and it was up to the contestant to determine whether that answer was true or false. The correct answer means that the contestant kept control, but if they were wrong, control passed to their opponent. Regardless of how the contestant in control answered, the point of light was lit and then taken out of play. But if a miss would result in a capture of a celebrity to an opponent by default, the point would remain in play. It's sort of the same rule that they had in Hollywood Squares where you could not win a square on a steal if it meant that you win the game. Have I confused you yet? No? Okay. So... Let's do a little bit of theater of the mind here. Imagine a three by four by three arrangement of circles. And then let's put some numbers on those circles. One, two, three on the top, four, five, six, seven in the middle, and eight, nine, and ten on the bottom. If you land on a number on the top or the bottom, either one, two, three, or eight, nine, ten, you have to play with the celebrity attached to that number. But if you land on a center row number, since they were attached to two or more triangles, you can choose which celebrity to play with. Although, in the cases of a capture, your choices could be limited. The first contestant to capture three stars won the game, $500, and the right to play for more in the bonus round. However, if you were to be so lucky as to capture all six stars, you won $1,000 and a bonus prize. This would be on the all-new Battle Stars. Now, the bonus round in the first Battle Stars is called Battle Stars 2. A celebrity base was completely hidden under 16 numbered blocks, and the winning player gets to choose three cards which Alex would put in a scanner on a podium. After those bricks were removed, the contestant picked one more square that would help them the most. 
That choice on some of the episodes would be made prior to drawing the three cards. And if a card drawn matched the number of the square the contestant already chose to reveal, that person would draw another card. The contestant would have one and only one chance to identify the celebrity. If they were to do so, they would win $5,000. However, if they gave a wrong answer or didn't have a clue, the contestant drew up to three additional cards and could solicit help from the celebrities by having them identify the star instead. For the first card, the value drops to 3000 then 2000 then 1000 for the third and final card. If the contestant fails to identify the base after these four attempts, the contestant chooses one more space to reveal and played for $500. Failure to win the $500 allows the player to choose one last space and play for $250. So, after all those times, you didn't know who was behind those puzzles, you lose, well, you don't lose anything, you just don't win anything. But no matter what you do get to come back and play another game. As you can see, this show was about as clear as mud. And if you thought it was confusing before, just wait until we get to the new Battle Stars. In the new Battle Stars, instead of lighting up the board, the object was to extinguish the points of light. And this was basically just a refurbish of the old rules. Instead of putting lights on the board, you're taking them off. The randomizer is only used when control passed between contestants. Upon getting a correct answer, a contestant in control can choose a number verbally. And finally, not only do the stars saw the display of the two answers, but the home and studio audience saw them too. This had absolutely no bearing on the rules, this was just a cosmetic change. However, the players in the studio did not see them and could not see them for either version of the Battle Stars. And the player who captures three Battle Stars wins the game $500 and a chance for more in, depending on what episode it is, the main event or the Battle Stars Bonanza. Now, this involved the winning contestant and the three battle stars that they captured. They play a three-question bonus round. Each multiple-choice question had three possible answers, which were now displayed to everyone. After the celebrity in play offered their choice, the contestant was asked whether or not that choice was true. If the contestant was correct in disagreeing, they had to choose from the correct answer from the two remaining choices to win any cash. The first two questions are worth $500. All three are worth the Battlestars Bonanza, which started at $5,000 and a prize package with another prize added every time it was not won. And that's pretty much how the game worked. And much like the match game Hollywood Squares Hour that would debut in 1983, some of the humor was taken out when they reduced the options available to just either or. 
I mean, there was no way to bluff an answer when you're given the answers. You're going to have to find a way to be funny. And I guess that's pretty much where this show fell flat, in which everybody was just finding a way to be funny with this format. Thoughts? They tried. Um, actually, if you go on YouTube, there actually is sort of a, I don't want to say dissertation, but, but there's a video that's probably close to half an hour long just about battle stars and about what went wrong and what also went right. One of the things that was clearly wrong is they made the questions essentially multiple choice because the celebrities were given uh, two answers on a monitor. And so there really wasn't much of a bluffing factor uh, as there was in Hollywood squares, but also at the same time, this was like one of the first appearances, not the first, because I think his first appearance would have been, uh, I believe on Benson, maybe uh, yes. a year earlier. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld's not necessarily first national exposure, but one of his first bits of national exposure was on the original Battle Stars. Yes. And you could see in his routine, uh, in his answers, sort of his, uh, the, the Seinfeldisms, if you will, that would uh, be well known 10, 15 years later. You can sort of see the, growth of a potential superstar in this. Yeah, the genesis, if you will. Yeah. Of course, we had many various celebrities that had made their way around the circuit over the years on this show. I know Fanny Flagg appeared on this show. Um, who else appeared on this show? Oh, Rip Taylor was on. Oh, for Rip sure. Taylor. Definitely. I remember him was on this show. Vicky Lawrence. Vicky Lawrence. There was a memorable exchange on the first episode of the new Battle Stars between Jim J. Bullock and uh, Debbie Reynolds. Press the button, see what you come up with. Hey, it's a good one. Number nine, you could capture Jimmy Bullock. JM, how are you doing? I'm lonely. I, uh, you know, <laughs> anything we can do about it? Well, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, Debbie will pass by. Oh, come on, honey. Oh. <laughs> gentlemen we were on the air for six months we shouldn't make it past next friday at this rate oh yeah very funny if you've never seen that but also i mean you had uh, your younger stars or your uh your sitcom regulars if you will you had like this glenn scarpelli's and those types i mean the one thing that was missing and really i think what made hollywood squares work you didn't have George Goble. You didn't have, you couldn't have had Paul Lynn because he would have probably been uh, close to death, if not 
deceased at that point. Definitely for the new Battle Stars because that was eighty three, but yeah, you, you never had him make an appearance in eighty one on the original Battle Stars. I don't think Rosemary was on this, was she? Pretty sure she wasn't. And uh, I'm sure Tom Poston may have made an appearance. Oh, yes, he did. He did. In in fact, hold on a second, because I have it queued up. I have Alex Trebek's interview from the Archive of American Television where he talks about battle stars, and there is a mention of Tom Poston in this clip. So let me share it. Uh, Then came a celebrity panel show called Battle Stars. And can you share with us any memories of the celebrities that you worked with and how that show was? Uh, Battle Stars, I always referred to as uh, Son of Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares had nine celebrities. Battle Stars had six. Hollywood Squares had squares. Battle Stars had triangles. And uh, the the person, the performer who came out of Battle Stars and enjoyed the greatest success later on was Jerry Seinfeld. But there were others who, uh, you know, we had the same quality of people that they used to have on Hollywood Squares. And Tom Poston was on the show once as uh, one of the panelists. And I was interviewing a young lady who had come from out of town, maybe Chicago or whatever. And I said, why did you come to California? And she said, I came to find a husband. And Tom Poston, without missing a beat, said, Whose husband did you come to find? Brought down the house. Great, great funny man. (laughs) I could just picture Tom saying that. (laughs) That, That's great. That was money in the bank, my friends. That was beautiful. Uh, but also, I mean, at that time, talking about uh, well, both uh, the new Battle Stars and the original version, New Heart would have started about that time. That would have been like eighty two ish. Eighty two, eighty three so, was New Heart's first season. Yeah. Okay, so that that would uh, overlap with the, the new Battle Stars. Then I don't know if he was on that. I don't know if uh, NBC really wanted to promote a, a CBS show, but also at the same time as. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows Tom Poston was on Match Game Hollywood Squares in late 83. So maybe there wasn't any sort of rivalry between the two networks. Okay, you you need to be on a CBS show only, Tom. Don't be going to NBC or if ABC had shows back then, don't go to ABC. Yeah, I'm imagining that Mark Goodson and Merrill Heater, they just had a Rolodex of people who they could call on a moment's notice and they just pull stuff like oh tom posted is he available yeah let's get him on oh charles nelson riley yeah let's definitely get him on and then you have like people who were on nbc at the time because i have the imdb page i have nell carter todd bridges eric estrada nancy mckeon and betty white among others now, Betty White was not on anything on NBC at the time. Wait, wrong. She would be. No. Yeah, but, but no, no, wait. Are, wait, are you talking new Battle Stars or, or uh, original version? It's like the original version, but then she did Just Men, and the new Battle Stars replaced Just Men, if I'm not mistaken. That's true, 
but also might mama's family have been on the air at this time or did that premiere yep, in that's fall it. of 83? That's it right there. That's okay. it right there. So yeah, she would have made the occasional appearance on Mano's family. All makes sense now. Yes. Yep. And Charles Hade, he was on Hill Street Blues. Okay, so that's Battle Stores. But let's talk about the main reason why we're here. Let's talk about a show on ABC called All-Star Blitz. The moment I read this info... That song is going to play. So I was basically putting it off for as long as possible. But I can't do that now, can I? All-Star Blitz aired on ABC Daytime from April 8th, 1985 to December 20th, 1985. And here's the theme Baba Bigola Baja Gujama. All Star Blitz. Baba Home, Baba Hima Homa. All Star Blitz. Baba Home, Baba Hima Homa. All Star Blitz. Baba Home, Baba Hima Homa. How'd you get your Maga Bigola Blick on your going? Okay, you get the picture. All three of us were doing our own type of dancing there. That was great. Um, but also, I think we need to add the, the the scat lyrics or however you want to phrase that was never used on the air. That's the version of the theme that's out there. We don't have a clean lyric-free theme. I, I, I don't know if I want to call them lyrics, but there's not a clean theme in the true sense of the word, if you will. There's this maybe pilot theme or prototype theme. Or maybe it was used in the ending credits? No, ending Chris didn't have any sort oh, of... Oh, it didn't? Yeah, no. Mm-mm-mm. But yeah, that's what we got. And you, you get the idea about the, the theme. It's it's a good theme without the lyrics, without the scatting. I think it's a great theme. I know, Benoodles, it's a great theme. You, you may hear her chiming in uh, down uh, on the floor here. But with the lyrics, it's absurd i mean that's the best word i can give it is absurd i'm glad they didn't use that theme though in in the the tv show it's like you are going absolutely nowhere with that theme music and i will not have any of it but 40 years later almost it's like a staple of the internet type in all-star blitz theme you're getting scat lyrics yep and I don't even want to analyze the lyrics because I don't want to know about someone's big mama to join or, or to going or whatever. They just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't absolute know. nonsense. It was absolutely nonsense. It, I mean, the people who wrote, we go together from Greece were like, what the hell did we do? 
it's kind of sad that we're spending more time talking about the theme than we are probably on the TV show itself. Well, the TV show itself was pretty impressive. I mean, the set itself was basically Hollywood Squares with Wheel of Fortune guts. And, you know, Peter Marshall, who hosted the Hollywood Squares, was a natural at this. He knew all of the right notes to hit, and he hit every one of them. I want to say this show is basically better than the uh, fandom at large gives it credit for. That's just me. Well, I think this is definitely the better show between this and Battlestars, and the new Battlestars. Yeah. So, this show is played with two contestants, one usually a returning champion, competing to uncover and solve hidden word puzzles with the help of a four-celebrity panel. Each celebrity has three stars above their heads and the 12 stars are all arranged in a four by three sort of situation so that when you look at it there are six sort of slide projection rear projection screens right above the play area i think the best way to describe it and this is one of those games as a kid where You'd have like an arrangement of dots and each person would take turns draw, uh, connecting two of the dots together. And then when you get four lines together to form a square, you claim that box. I think that's the best way of describing this. It's, it's that type of game that you would have played as a kid with pen and paper. Okay, so each game began with the audience, that's us at home, getting the number of words in the puzzle. And then a number of stars were lit over each panelist at random. The player in control, usually the challenger, will choose a celebrity and a position, and then they'll be asked a question, a la Hollywood Squares. Once the celebrity gave an answer, the contestant had to agree or disagree in order to light up that star. If you choose correctly... You can keep control and pick again, but if you make a wrong decision, you pass control to your opponent, who could choose another star in another position, unless that star would be the fourth one around a monitor. And once all four stars around the monitor were lit, the part of the puzzle in that monitor was uncovered, and the contestant in control had the option to guess the answer. An incorrect guess forfeited control to your opponent. But each part of the puzzle could only be uncovered with a correct determination. If a given star would complete the quartet around more than one monitor, a celebrity could potentially have to answer multiple questions in a row. And it goes on like that until someone solved the puzzle or all six monitors were uncovered, with the player who uncovered the last monitor winning the game by default. And it takes two games to win the match and a prize package, usually valued between 3000 and 4000 And they went on to play the Blitz Bonanza for a growing jackpot that started out, if I'm not mistaken, at $10,000 and raised up 2500 for every time it was not hit. That's actually the second version. 
Oh, that's the second version. What was the, 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 well, you're right about the 10,000, but originally it was increased by 5,000 per miss until a $25,000 cap. Okay. So, okay. yeah, 10, 15, 20, 25,000. Then, if uh, on the, the next term after the 25,000, it stayed at 25,000, but they later changed it to $2,500, like Chico's talking about, but with a $20,000 cap. Okay. So here's how the Blitz Bonanza works. You have one final puzzle and a set amount of words that it contained. Later, only the panel and the home audience would get that information. You have four spins of the Blitz Bonanza wheel. And that wheel would randomize the sort of bounce around square thing until it stopped and then that part of the puzzle would be revealed. If you hit that screen again, it is a wasted spin. If fewer than four spaces were covered after the last spin, the champion was given the option to leave the board as it was or give up the prize package that they won in the main game in exchange for one more spin. After every spin, the player had 10 seconds to think about what the puzzle is, while the celebrities wrote down their guesses. If you guess correctly, you win the cash jackpot. Simple as that. If not, you still have a chance to win $250 for each celebrity who guessed the puzzle correctly. But at the end of four Blitz Bonanzas, you're done. No matter how much you won, no matter how many puzzles you solved, after four times, you retire as an undefeated champion. And that's the game. Well, hold on. Did you mention that in the bonus round, they were told the number of words that were in the puzzle? I did. I mentioned that. Did you also mention, I might have missed this, in the main game, they were not told the number of words in the puzzle. I mentioned that. I wish I could do a Morgan Freeman voice and just say right here, no, Chico did not mention them. Well, Chico, that's not the end of the All-Star Blitz story. Well, not in the forum All-Star Blitz. Uh, it did have a short life on uh, USA reruns back in uh, 1986. But believe it or not, the format was actually reused, in a sense, in a 1993 pilot called Hollywood Teasers. The game was essentially the same from what we've seen. The video's not out there, not the full gameplay, just uh, snippets of the pilot. The game itself, and again, details are sort of sparse. It looks like that you captured individual celebrities to get that part of the word or that word in the phrase, but you didn't do it in the sense of Battle Stars where you had to get the three corners or uh, like All-Star Bliss, you had to get the four corners of that square. It looks like you just basically had to capture a celebrity, just one term. 
but the gameplay does look very similar to all-star blitz in the sense of it's a phrase. Here's how many words it is associated with every celebrity. There is a part of a word or a word, and you just got to answer the puzzle. The one thing I find really fascinating for this pilot, and I'm guessing this was not made for daytime, is that they got some real big name celebrities on this. This is not your, with all due respect to Charles Nelson Riley, this isn't your Charles Nelson Riley's uh, in terms of, yeah, he's a game show celebrity, but what has he done otherwise? These are like actual celebrities, celebrities. Listen to these names. This is a big, big, and maybe even now, almost 30 years later, a really big set of celebrities. You had Ed O'Neill. So we're talking about, at that point, Al Bundy. But obviously, he'd go on to maybe even bigger success with Modern Family. You had Pam Anderson. And this would have been, what, maybe the first or second year she joined Baywatch? Because she was with uh, Home Improvement to start? Yeah, she was the original Tool Time girl. So, yeah, I mean, she was definitely a known quantity there. Home Improvement was hugely uh, popular back in uh, the early 90s. But now she's just sort of transitioning to this new role that's going to make her an international star. You had Don Rickles. And, I mean, I don't think we need to say anything besides Don Rickles. Everybody Don knows who. Yeah, Don Rickles, uh, the king of insults. And we'll eventually talk about him on CPO Sharky. Which really, uh, I, I saw a couple of episodes of CPO Sharky over the last week uh, on uh, Crackle. CPO Sharky was not a bad show. We'll do, again, we'll talk about that at some point. Here's one for the younger people who may have been seeing this. I know it's a pilot. They wouldn't see it. But here's the eyes for the younger uh, generation. Mayim Bialik. She would have been Blossom at this point. And obviously, she's gone on to much bigger and better things than Blossom, uh, playing Amy Farrah Fowler on Big Bang Theory. And she's got some sort of little side hustle uh, on uh, Celebrity Jeopardy? Yes. Yeah. And also, Call Me Cat. I mean, that may not be the, the best show in the world, but it's its third season, so got to give us some credit there. Yeah, it's getting some money. Oh, hold on a second. You mentioned Blossom. So you know what I got to say to that? What do you got to say about that? Whoa! Whoa! I think I do. Totally expected, but I have no problem with it. I do not object. Uh, fifth celebrity. Again, big name for 1993. He had his own TV series at this point. Maybe not a big name since then. This is like the one person on this panel that's maybe fizzled a little bit since uh, Hollywood Teasers was recorded. Mark Curry. Yes, hanging with Mr. Cooper, but that's it. No, he was in Armageddon. Oh, like I watch movies. We've established that already. But the last person. Yes, maybe this person hasn't done much in the last, let's say, 20 years. But if you go back to the 80s and early 90s, this person was one of the biggest stand-up comedians. Rita Rudner. She's a legend. Yeah. 
She's great. So you had six really big celebrities at this point. You had Rob Wheeler as host, who I can give or take. But again, this is 1993, and game shows were on the decline at this point. Because I think at this point you only had uh, Family Feud and uh, Price is Right and like Caesar's Challenge on daytime TV in terms of game shows. That's it. And just as a whole, I mean, what other game shows did you have in syndication? Obviously, yep. Wheel and Jeopardy. But really, outside of like the Price is Right in 1994 and like the newlywed game returning in 96 you sort of have a bit of a dry spell there from like 92, 93 to like 98 when you had match game and Hollywood squares return. Well, you did have the game block on family channel with Wake Martindale hosting trivial pursuit and a bunch the, of other reruns. But even that didn't last because that only ran for like a year and a half. So you, you, again, you really had a dry streak there. And even then, yeah, you had these uh, Wink Martindale shows, which admittedly were done like on the super cheap and probably on the super fast. But then you had reruns of old shows. You had, at this point, almost 10-year-old reruns of Name That Tune. And you had, at this point, 15-year-old reruns of Face the Music. And you had like seven, eight-year-old reruns of the Crosswits. Or just Crosswits, not the Crosswits, the original version. We're talking about the inferior version. Gotcha. But uh, going back to the schedules, uh, we did talk about the schedule for the new Battle Stars. It was in the noon slot. It replaced Just Men. You didn't have a, a terribly long life, to, uh, to say the least. The All Star Blitz. I, I think there's an obvious reason All Star Blitz got just pummeled. It replaced Trivia Trap on the schedule, and Trivia Trap was on at 11, and I believe we even talked about this in the Trivia Trap episode. It was going against the first half hour of The Price is Right, and, and, Wheel of Fortune. So talk about a one-two knockout combination. Yeah, obviously you're not going to beat Price is Right, but also you're going up against Wheel of Fortune, which at this point would have been on for a decade. And it's probably as big as it ever was, uh, admittedly because of the, the, the syndicated version, but still. So you had All-Star Blitz uh, at 11 o'clock to start. In June, it moved to 11.30. That's not really helping all that much. At 11.30, you didn't have Wheel of Fortune, but you still had another powerhouse show in its second year at this point, Scrabble. So do you go against Wheel of Fortune and Price is Right or Scrabble and Price is Right? That, that, that's sort of like saying, well, would you like to die by guillotine or would you like to be electrocuted? I don't really want either one. But then uh, it ultimately uh, got replaced in uh, late December of 1985. If this isn't like the Christmas gift for television viewers in 1985. I don't know what is. It was replaced with the new Love American style. I didn't hear any reaction, so I'll say it again. It was replaced <laughs> by the new Love American style. Yeah, the new Love American style. Because screw the old Love American style. 
the new Love America style. That's where it's at because it's on videotape, not on that crappy film. Which, let's be honest, who shoots stuff in the 1980s on film? Eh. It's not like film's going to be important later. <laughs> film. I just mentioned that because we love our we love American style here for some reason, even though it's a piece of crap. I just said it for the reaction. But yeah, I mean, that's basically the two shows. Are either of them going to be seen ever again? You never know because uh, doesn't uh, uh, at least the uh, Heater Quigley stuff is owned by Amazon. Is the Merrill Heater stuff owned by Amazon, though? I think it is. I think everything uh, just under the Merrill Heater banner is owned by uh, Amazon. Because I remember when, uh, this is like 15 years ago, when uh, MGM originally bought the uh, Heater Quigley library, it included stuff like Malcolm. So maybe Amazon one day... Hey, let's do a revival of this stupid pilot from 1983. Let's do Malcolm for the next generation. Let's not. <laughs> but the point is, it's in the hands of Amazon, and Amazon, who the heck even knows if they know about it? And who knows if Amazon wants to get into uh, maybe uh, diversifying their streaming business a little bit more? by adding some of their shows from these different libraries that they acquired through uh, the purchase MGM. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it one day. Maybe we'll see Jerry Seinfeld 40 years ago as a up and coming comedian. Maybe, but I got to point out this one thing. There are two exceptions to uh, the hater quickly library being owned by Amazon. After Hollywood Squares 86 was canceled, Orion, who helped produce that show, sold the rights to King World Productions. King World Productions was sold to CBS. CBS was sold to Paramount. So Hollywood Squares is now owned by Paramount. Yeah, but the library is still owned by... Amazon slash MGM for the two original series. Right. Yeah, yeah, because obviously if we remember Hollywood Squares from, oh my gosh, it's been 24 years since Tom Bergeron's Hollywood Squares premiered. That doesn't make you feel old. I don't know what does. But yeah, th that was definitely a, a King World joint. But okay, so uh, the original Hollywood Squares and the Davidson Hollywood Squares are in the Amazon family. Uh, what was the other uh, exclusion to that rule? Wacky races. Well, that would be a Hanna-Barbera thing. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, what's existing, I mean, if, if uh, somebody from Amazon ever does, like, an inventory of what's in their, their possession, you never know. Maybe it'll be uh, converted one day. Maybe... Yeah, if they're sitting on 3,000 episodes of Hollywood Squares for uh, from its original run, maybe they'll convert it. Who knows? Well, hold on a second. Who's to say that considering Amazon is big on original stuff, especially with Thursday Night Football, maybe if they ever want to create an original game show of their own, maybe they do a 
new version of Battle Stories for the 2020s? I doubt it, but you never know. If they were going to do it again, they would probably have to end up changing the name lest they incur the wrath of NBC Universal. That's what I was just going to say is if they wanted to do some sort of revival, if, you know, why, first off, but I think the name is going to be an issue because of, of Battlestar Galactica and uh, just confusion because, yeah, I don't know uh, if there was any sort of confusion between Battlestars and Battlestar Galactica because Battlestar Galactica would have ended, what, about 80 or so? Yeah, Galactica 1980 would have been one and done. So Okay, then a year later you've got Battlestars, totally different show, not even sci-fi. I, I, I think it's too confusing. Or you could just call it Hollywood Triangles, not put it in space. There you go. You could. Triangles are not copyrighted material, as far as I know. And if they are, I'd be sued out the wazoo for all the geometry classes I've done. But yeah, I think that's just about all we can say about uh, these Hollywood Squares derivatives. Yeah, they tried. They weren't as good as the original. They didn't have a lot of people from the original. They did have some familiar faces. I mean, you did see Charles Nelson Riley on all these shows, and you did see Abby Dalton at least on uh, All Star Blitz and uh, other familiar faces. But ultimately, the competition and the time slots these shows were put in, it sort of sealed their fate. And that's why, unfortunately, these shows, Battlestars, New Battlestars, All-Star Blitz, they're sadly just things on TV. The Hollywood teasers was this close to being a thing on TV. I would have watched the heck out of it. Seriously. I love All-Star Blitz. I love All-Star Blitz and just again, there was nothing else going on at the time because game shows were passe back uh, 25, 28, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the show isn't bad, but, you know, you kind of lose people at the theme music, even though I will say, and I have no problem in saying this, it was a bop. Oh, it is. Again, get rid of the, the scat lyrics. It's a bop. It, it's a throwback to like the 50s. That's what it is. I'm talking about 50s music, not 50s game show themes. Just saying. Uh, now, the 50s game shows were kind of sort of fixed. So I'm surprised they didn't have Tom Poston running from backstage with something then the announcer saying, hold on, Tom Poston's coming to cash in the money in the bank. No, I'm not doing that yet. <laughs> you tried. N nice try. But no. Still got, like, what? Six months. Six months? Yeah, you got six months. Yeah. Well, can't blame a guy for trying, eh? Well, on that disappointment, it's time to end. Don't forget, we are online at it was a thing on TV.com. We're on all social media that 
is currently online as we are recording this on It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, because Peter Marshall spun the Blitz Bonanza Wheel one too many times. So we ended up getting It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And don't forget, we are available where all fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember, like, subscribe, share, review. Five stars only because positive vibes only. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including two we have for, oh dear, it's the fourth Thursday in November again. You know what that means. Hey guys, just want to see if you guys find a little pattern here, okay? Okay. So in 2019, we did the 1983 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. In 2020, we did the 1984 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. In 2021, we did the 1985 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I wonder what one of the things we'll cover next week is. Hmm. But also, we have a very special episode for the second episode on Thanksgiving. And, well, I got a question. What are we all thankful for? I'm thankful for many things. I've been through a lot the last two years, and I'm, I'm thankful for being here. Thankful for family. Thankful for friendships like this. Yeah. But you know what? Thank, thankful for all our listeners. Now give us a five star review. I'm thankful for everybody who's listening to this. But you know five what? stars only, positive vibes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what I'm thankful for, guys? Alan King. He's the gift that keeps on giving. You're not wrong. Yes. And you'll find out more about that next week, right here. On it was a thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with those two special Thanksgiving episodes starting on Monday. Row! Bubba's is a bubba, bubba, bubba is a ba. Huh!